welcome back to my relaxing literature podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. Tonight, we're continuing our reading of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. Chapter 23 At last the sleepy atmosphere was stirred, and vigorously. The murder trial came on the court. It became the absorbing topic of village talk immediately. Tom could not get away from it. Every reference to the murder sent a shudder to his heart, for his troubled conscience and fears almost persuaded him that these remarks were put forth in his hearing as feelers. He did not see how he could be suspected of knowing anything about the murder, but still he could not be comfortable in the midst of this gossip. It kept him in a cold shiver all the time. He took Huck to a lonely place to have a talk with him. It would be some relief to unseal his tongue for a little while, to divide his burden of distress with another sufferer. Moreover, he wanted to assure himself that Huck had remained discreet. Huck, have you told anybody about that? About what? You know what? Oh, of course I haven't. Never a word? Never a solitary word, so help me. What makes you ask? I was afeard. Why, Tom Sawyer, we wouldn't be alive two days if that got found out. You know that. Tom felt more comfortable. After a pause, Huck, they couldn't anybody get you to tell, could they? Get me to tell? Why, if I wanted that half-breed devil to drown me, they could get me to tell. They ain't no different way. Well, that's all right, then. I reckon we're safe as long as we keep Mum. But let's swear again anyway. It's more surer. I'm agreed. So they swore again with dread solemnities. What is the talk around, Huck? I've heard a power of it. Talk? Well, it's just Muff Potter, Muff Potter, Muff Potter all the time. It keeps me in a sweat constant, so as I want to hide summers. That's just the same way they go on round me. I reckon he's a goner. Don't you feel sorry for him sometimes? Most always, most always. He ain't no account, but then he ain't never done anything to hurt anybody. Just fishes a little to get money to get drunk on and loafs around considerable, but we all do that, leastways most of us, preachers and such like, but he's kind of good, he gives me half a fish once, when there weren't enough for two, and lots of times he's kind of stood by me when I was out of luck. Well, he's mended kites for me, Huck, and knitted hooks onto my line. I wish we could get him out of there. My, we couldn't get him out, Tom, and besides, twouldn't do any good, they'd catch him again. Yes, so they would. But I hate to hear him abuse him so like the dickens when he never done that. I do too, Tom. Lord, I hear him say he's the bloodiest-looking villain in this country, and they wonder he wasn't ever hung before. Yes, they talk like that all the time. I heard him say that if it was to get free, they'd lynch him. And they'd do it too. The boys had a long talk, but it brought them little comfort. As the twilight drew on, they found themselves hanging about the neighborhood of the little isolated jail. 
perhaps with an undefined hope that something would happen that might clear away their difficulties, but nothing happened. There seemed to be no angels or fairies interested in this luckless captive. The boys did as they had often done before, went to the cell, grating, and gave Potter some tobacco and matches. He was on the ground floor, and there were no guards. His gratitude for their gifts had always smote their consciences before, but it cut deeper than ever this time. They felt cowardly and treacherous to the last degree when Potter said, You've been mighty good to me, boys, better than anybody else in this town, and don't forget it, I don't. Often I says to myself, says I, I used to mend all the boys' kites and things, and show em round where there as good fishing places was, and befriend em what I could, and now they've all forgot old Muff when he's in trouble, but Tom don't, and Huck don't, they don't forget him, says I, and I don't forget them. Well, boys, I done an awful thing, drunk and crazy at the time, that's the only way I account for it, and now I got to swing for it, and it's right. Right and best, too. I reckon. Hope so, anyway. Well, we won't talk about that. I don't want to make you feel bad. You've befriended me. But what I want to say is, don't you ever get drunk. Then you won't ever get here. Stand a little further west. So, that's it. It's a prime comfort to see faces that's friendly when a body's in such a muck of trouble, and there don't none come out here but yarn. Good, friendly faces. Good, friendly faces. Get up on one another's backs and let me touch em. That's it. Shake hands. Yarn'll come through the bars, but mine's too big. Little hands and weak. But they've helped Muff Potter a power, and they'd help him more if they could. Tom went home, miserable, and his dreams that night were full of horrors. The next day and the day after, he hung about the courtroom, drawn by an almost irresistible impulse to go in, but forcing himself to stay out. Huck was having the same experience. They studiously avoided each other. Each wandered away from time to time, but the same dismal fascination always brought them back presently. Tom kept his ears open when idlers sauntered out of the courtroom, but invariably heard distressing news. The toils were closing more and more relentlessly around poor Potter. At the end of the second day, the village talk was to the effect that Injun Joe's evidence stood firm and unshaken, and that there was not the slightest question as to what the jury's verdict would be. Tom was out late that night and came to bed through the window. He was in a tremendous state of excitement. It was hours before he got to sleep. All the village flocked to the courthouse the next morning, for this was to be the great day. Both sexes were about equally represented in the packed audience. After a long wait, the jury filed in and took their places. Shortly afterward, Potter, pale and haggard, timid and hopeless, was brought in, with chains upon him and seated where all the curious eyes could stare at him. No less conspicuous was Injun Joe, stolid as ever. There was another pause, and then the judge arrived, and the sheriff proclaimed the opening of the court. The usual whisperings among the lawyers and gathering together of papers followed. These details and accompanying delays worked up an atmosphere of preparation that was as impressive as it was fascinating. Now a witness was called who testified that he found Muff Potter washing in the brook at an early hour of the morning that the murder was discovered, and that he immediately sneaked away. 
After some further questioning, counsel for the prosecution said, Take the witness. The prisoner raised his eyes for a moment, but dropped them again when his own counsel said, I have no questions for him. The next witness proved the finding of the knife near the corpse. Counsel for the prosecution said, Take the witness. I have no questions for him, Potter's lawyer replied. A third witness swore that he had often seen the knife in Potter's possession. Take the witness. Counsel for Potter declined to question him. The faces of the audience began to portray annoyance. Did this attorney mean to throw away his client's life without an effort? Several witnesses deposed concerning Potter's guilty behavior when brought to the scene of the murder. They were allowed to leave the stand without being cross-questioned. Every detail of the damaging circumstances that occurred in the graveyard upon that morning, which all present remembered so well, was brought out by credible witnesses, but none of them were cross-examined by Potter's lawyer. The perplexity and dissatisfaction of the house expressed itself in murmurs and provoked a reproof from the bench. Counsel for the prosecution now said, By the oaths of citizens whose simple word is above suspicion, we have fastened this awful crime beyond all possibility of question upon the unhappy prisoner at the bar. We rest our case here. A groan escaped from poor Potter, and he put his face in his hands and rocked his body softly to and fro, while a painful silence reigned in the courtroom. Many men were moved, and many women's compassion testified itself in tears. Counsel for the defense rose and said, Your Honor, in our remarks at the beginning of this trial, we foreshadowed our purpose to prove that our client did this fearful deed while under the influence of a blind and irresponsible delirium produced by drink. We have changed our mind. We shall not offer that plea. Then to the clerk, call Thomas Sawyer. A puzzled amazement awoke every face in the house, not even excepting Potter's. Every eye fastened itself with wondering interest upon Tom as he rose and took his place upon the stand. The boy looked wild enough, for he was badly scared. The oath was administered. Thomas Sawyer, where were you on the 17th of June, about the hour of midnight? Tom glanced at Injun Joe's iron face and his tongue failed him. The audience listened breathless, but the words refused to come. After a few moments, however, the boy got a little of his strength back and managed to put enough of it into his voice to make a part of the house here. In the graveyard. A little bit louder, please. Don't be afraid you were in the graveyard. A contemptuous smile flitted across Injun Joe's face. Were you anywhere near Horse William's grave? Yes, sir. Speak up, just a trifle louder. How near were you? Near as I am to you. Were you hidden or not? I was hid. Where? Behind the elms that's on the edge of the grave. Injun Joe gave a barely perceptible start. Anyone with you? Yes, sir, I went there with... Wait, wait a moment. Never mind mentioning your companion's name. We will produce him at the proper time. Did you carry anything there with you? Tom hesitated and looked confused. Speak out, my boy. Don't be diffident. The truth is always respectable. What did you take there? Only a... a, a dead cat, 
there was a ripple of mirth which the court checked. We will produce the skeleton of that cat. Now, my boy, tell us everything that occurred. Tell it in your own way. Don't skip anything and don't be afraid. Tom began, hesitatingly at first, but as he warmed to his subject, his words flowed more and more easily. In a little while, every sound ceased but his own voice. Every eye fixed itself upon him. With parted lips and debated breath, the audience hung upon his words, taking no note of time. Wrapped in the ghastly fascinations of the tale, the strain upon pent emotion reached its climax when the boy said, and as the doctor fetched the board round and Muff Potter fell, Injun Joe jumped with the knife and, crash, quick as lightning, the half-breed sprang for a window, tore his way through all opposers, and was gone. Chapter 24 Tom was a glittering hero once more, the pet of the old, the envy of the young. His name even went into immortal print, for the village paper magnified him. There were some that believed he would be president yet if he escaped hanging. As usual, the fickle, unreasoning world took Muff Potter to its bosom and fondled him as lavishly as it has abused him before. But that sort of conduct is to the world's credit, therefore it is not well to find fault with it. Tom's days were days of splendor and exultation to him, but his nights were seasons of horror. Injun Joe invested all his dreams and always with doom in his eye. Hardly any temptation could persuade the boy to stir abroad after nightfall. Poor Huck was in the same state of wretchedness and terror, for Tom had told the whole story to the lawyer the night before the great day of the trial, and Huck was so afraid that his share in the business might leak out yet, notwithstanding Injun Joe's flight had saved him the suffering of testifying in court. The poor fellow had got his attorney to promise secrecy, but what of that? Since Tom's harassed conscience had managed to drive him to the lawyer's house by night and wring a dread tale from lips that had been sealed with the dismalest and most formidable of oaths, Huck's confidence in the human race was well-nigh obliterated. Daily Muff Potter's gratitude made Tom glad he had spoken, but nightly he wished he had sealed up his tongue. Half the time Tom was afraid Injun Joe would never be captured, the other half he was afraid he would be. He felt sure that he could never draw a safe breath again until that man was dead and he had seen the corpse. Rewards had been offered, the country had been scoured, but no Injun Joe was found. One of these omniscient and awe-inspiring marvels, a detective, came up from St. Louis, moused around, shook his head, looked wise, and made that sort of astounding success which members of that craft usually achieve. That is to say, he found a clue. But you can't hang a clue for murder, and so after that detective had got through and gone home, Tom felt just as insecure as he was before. The slow days drifted on, and each left behind it a slightly lightened weight of apprehension. Thank you so much for joining me for another relaxing literature podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting to help me improve the quality. You can find me at patreon.com forward slash relaxing literature, along with a list of the many benefits you'll receive for being a patron at only $5 a month. 
You can also support me by rating, subscribing, and reviewing at your podcast platform of choice. Please also find me on Instagram at Relaxing Literature or on Twitter at Relaxing Lit ASMR to leave your comments, questions, or suggestions on what you'd like me to read next. Thank you so much for listening. Good night.